0: This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hey, hey, welcome. Again, Disability Law Show is here. Good to have you along, John Scholes, as always, and with me, Martin Willems, uh, courtesy Samfiru to Mark and LLP, the most positively reviewed Law firm in the country. Martin, uh, handling overall the, uh, the west end of the country, the west coast of the country as well. You want to reach out to Martin anytime and his team. They could direct you where you need to go. And that would be one 5900 through phone. Email is help at disabilityrights.ca. Lots to get through on the show today. There's, uh, questions coming in first from that email address and also my disability That is a free and anonymous website for you to use anytime you would like. You have questions surrounding disability, claims being denied, working with an insurance company. Taking static from an insurance company, don't know how to reach out, leave your questions at my They will get answered by a member of Martin's team. And uh, you can even search to see if your question was asked or one very similar to it in the past, and then you can save you some time. But if not, you can use that anytime. As mentioned, completely free and anonymous. My disabilityquestions.com. Martin wanna get to this today, of course. Six things to do when making a claim for disability benefits, but first we get to the week that was, pal. What do you got cooking?
1: Thanks, John. Yes, we received this email. Um, it's an interesting one. It's a person who says, I have post traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and depression. So that's a combination of mental health disorders. I've been receiving benefits for four years. A few months ago, a new case manager took over my file. Since then, it feels like the insurer's attitude towards me has changed. I re- recently received a letter where the insurer advised me that although I have been paid benefits, it does not have sufficient evidence to support my my functional restrictions and limitations, nor evidence that I'm being appropriately treated for my condition. It also refers to language in the policy that says that benefits can be suspended if I'm not being appropriately treated. The insurer has now suspended my benefits, and it says that it has been trying to get a form completed by my psychiatrist, and my psychiatrist has not completed the form. The language in this letter is confusing and it has created a worsening of my anxiety. I'm not sure yeah. what to do. Yeah. So quite a few things happening there. And, you know, it's an interesting question or questions because we see this happen so often. I've had clients who have been had on claim for a bunch of years thinking that things will go along smoothly. Then a new case manager gets appointed and the direction of the handling of the file takes an abrupt turn. Uh, and sometimes it's just because they do, I've heard this phrase used, a recertification process where they're starting to look at the file in a different way once the person has been on claim for a, um, a number of years. So in this case, these are significant conditions of course, the post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety and depression. It seems that this person has been seen by a psychiatrist as well, this is different. it appears to be from the general denial that you see that they're taking the position that the claim is being suspended because mm-hmm. they are not getting sufficient information from the psychiatrist, but they're also hinting at a denial coming because they're using the they're referring to the fact that they don't have sufficient evidence to support the financial the functional restrictions and limitations that this person has. So I can understand why this is anxiety-inducing. Obviously, because the person has been living with this for four years, and it is very stressful. So my advice on this is, as it always is, uh, I'd love to see what this letter states. I'd love to have a discussion with this person to see what exactly has happened. It's interesting that a person has been on claim for four years. They, the insurance company, has accepted that this person could not work, accepted that they were functionally restricted from performing the duties of their own occupation, and presumably any occupation because they're now on the four-year mark. So why is this now happening? And as she says, or he says, that there is a new case manager in place. So reach out to us. I'd love to read the letter, as I've said before, we can look at the policy. Now on that point, when uh, the reference is made to the language in the policy that benefits can be suspended if the person is not being appropriately treated that quite often comes from the insurance company side where they would say our policy which is a contract says that if we in our opinion feel that you are not being properly treated for this condition then we can deny or terminate benefits or suspend benefits and that appears to be where this is heading so What they want is to have the psychiatrist complete some form where I presume the psychiatrist will be indicating what type of treatment is being uh, in place and then make a decision based on that whether the treatment is appropriate. So of course when you make a claim for disability benefits it is the duty of the person making that claim to submit proper evidence. There's an argument I think that can be made that this has happened to date because they have been paid for four years But the psychiatrist should step up here as well and complete the form because the anxiety that is being created through this process is not helping. It's probably going to prolong any potential recovery. So reach out to the psychiatrist, have the psychiatrist complete that form, but also reach out to us and we can read the letter and prepare you for what may be coming so that you are Um, in an informed position if they were to be a denial so you can know what your options are. But this, as I say, is something we see regularly, especially when there's a new case manager in place.
0: You bet. So don't hesitate to uh, to reach out. It'll uh, you know relieve a lot of stress. Anyway, just to have that phone call and the length of your conversation with Martin and his team. So so do that 1-855-821-5900. Same goes through you if you're listening to the show this hour. You want to reach out through email. We might actually get to one of your emails on the show sometime. Help at disabilityrights.ca, and there's always the option of mydisabilityquestions.com as well. Let's get into this, Martin, as we continue uh, here our first segment of the uh, the show, Six Things to Do When Making a Claim for Disability Benefits. This is key information. A lot of people are going through this and it seems like uh, an insurmountable mountain of paper and red tape to get through. What do I do first? How do I break this down? That's what we're doing for you right here, right now. So we'll get into the first thing and I'll read out the bullet points, pal, and you, uh, you, uh, you can expand on them. Uh, first, consult with your physician on a regular basis, right?
1: You know what, the reason we chose to do this this week is because we get so many inquiries from people um, in relation to what I'm going to be discussing now. Mm. Um, The insurance company has denied me based on this reason, I don't know what to do. And as we go through these bullet points, I'll also address why insurance companies many times do deny cases. So on this first one, uh, consult with your physician on a regular basis. When you've made a claim for the disability benefits, obviously, when you submit that claim, you will have the support of a doctor because that's part of the application process. You have to submit something called an attending physician statement, which has to be completed by the doctor. And presumably, one would think that if you are making that claim, the doctor is supporting your claim. The disability policy, as I've said many times before, is a policy, and the policy has rights and obligations, but also definitions. And a definition for total disability in many policies do include a requirement that the person making the claim must be under the regular care of a physician. In other policies, it may not be part of the definition, but elsewhere in the policy there will be a term that requires that the person is under the regular care of a physician in order to be entitled to benefits. In other words, if the person is not under the regular care of a physician for a period of time, benefits may be suspended for that period of time. So these two, there's a there's a difference between the two because the one is you're not entitled to benefits at all. And the other one is your benefits will be suspended if you're not being regularly treated by a physician. Right. Two important points to be made there. Number one, regularly, especially in the environment that we're living in now, and we've, we keep having discussions about this, there's such a scarcity of physicians out there for people to get a family doctor in place or even to be seen by a psychiatrist, which is so difficult. It is really important to try and have somebody in place whom you can see and who can support your claim. And then secondly, the term physician quite often is a prescribed and defined term in policies as well. And it normally would be a at least a family physician, if not somebody above that, more qualified, like a specialist. But a family sp- physician should suffice. Quite often, there's a question mark about whether a naturopath would suffice or whether a psychologist would suffice. But my advice on this point is at least try to have a family physician in place and see that person on a regular basis, because during the course of the adjudication of the claim. The insurance company will be following up with you and they may not say this to you at the beginning, but later on, if they were to deny your claim, they may say to you, well, you haven't been regularly treated by a physician when you did not know that your policy actually required that in order to receive benefits. So first step, see the doctor and make sure that you see the doctor on a regular basis.
0: We'll get to one of these uh, before we break. Second one is this, ensure that you accurately report your restrictions and limitations to your doctor and that these are recorded in the doctor's charts, big time.
1: You know, again, another one that we see quite often. I have seen many files denied based on an insurer's review of a doctor's chart. So the person may be going to the doctor, may be reporting that, look, I've been living with depression now for a long time. Today I feel better because you had a better day. Put that in context. You mm-hmm. had a better day. What do you mean by that? You actually were able to get out of the bed today where for the first f- five weeks before you weren't able to even leave the house. Put it in context. And the next time when you see the doctor, if things are not going better or if things are worse, say that to the doctor because insurance companies rely on positive impressions made with respect to clinical records. So if you say something positive, they may jump on it and say, look, we've seen that you were doing better on this day. Or doctors may say that the condition is stable and then jump on that and say, well, your condition is stable, surely it must be better. You can go back to work now. So when you see your doctor, make sure that you record record and report and that the doctor records this. What are your ongoing problems? What are your ongoing symptoms? What can and can you not do how do you feel on a regular basis? And make sure, obviously, you cannot record these for the doctor by yourself. But make sure, if you can, that the doctor records what it is that you are telling him. Because doctors are so busy, they go in and out of the room. So use that time wisely when you do report to your doctor how things are going. And if things are worse, make sure that the doctor records it so that when somebody looks at this later on, there's a paper trail that has been created recording your ongoing problems as they happen in real time.
0: And with that, we'll take that break. As we mentioned, in the meantime, reaching out to Martin and his team. Don't hesitate. Always good for a chat, right? Clear some things up. Knowledge is key. Always one eight five five eight two one. 5,900 help at disabilityrights.ca for email address and also the option of my mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll continue with our six things to do when making a claim for disability benefits. Four more to go, that, and then we'll flip over to some emails. So stick around for that as we continue on the Disability Law Show. All right, welcome back, Disability Law Show. Martin Willems is your guy reaching out anytime, knowledge, teamwork got it all covered, ready to have a chat with you and educate you about uh, what can be a pretty scary process dealing with a uh, disability insurer for sure, especially if you're facing a denial or had been denied in the first place and want you to appeal all these different things. It's a, it's a minefield, so get some clarity on it. 1-855-821- 5900-HELP-AT-DISABILITYRIGHTS.CA email and another form for you to ask questions anonymously, by the way, and free of charge, of course, My disabilityquestions.com. We were talking about uh, Martin, getting into our six points about things to do when making a claim for disability benefits. And just wrapping up uh, a couple more points on the first one, that is consult with your physician on a regular basis. Key information there, yeah?
1: You know, it, it goes hand in hand with reporting to your doctor the restrictions and limitations that you have. Quite often you would hear from a, a person who has had their claim denied that, my doctor submitted a form, they denied me. Um, they say that there's not sufficient evidence. Uh, And then it turns out that the person may not have been seeing the doctor on a regular basis or the doctor may not quite understand how bad things are for this person. So it goes back to make sure that you report to your doctor accurately and in detail what your restrictions and limitations are. Uh, And that means what your symptoms are, what your functional impairments are. If you are having a, a mental health illness and you're having difficulty to concentrate, to focus, you've got poor memory, you cannot multitask, you've got poor sleep, you have emotional breakdowns, you have panic attacks. Make sure that the doctor understands that. And a bigger reason for that as well is, once you are on claim, and if the insurance company then reaches out to your family physician, or whomever is treating you, to get an update on your condition, as the months go by, that the doctor, your treatment provider, is in in position where they can provide an informed opinion. And that is key in these c- c- situations, right? Because quite often, as we've seen many times, insurance companies will have in-house doctors, like sometimes to refer to them as health partners, review the claims by doing a file review of clinical records mm. that have been submitted, but not having the benefit of seeing the person making the claim, meeting them, or even speaking to them, never mind doing wow. an assessment. But yet they give an opinion as to whether the person is properly being treated or whether they are disabled or not. Whereas if you have seen your doctor regularly and your doctor is aware of what's going on with you, the doctor is aware of your symptoms and the reasons why you cannot work, your doctor is empowered to provide an informed opinion as to why it is that you cannot work in your own occupation and potentially another occupation as well. So you want to empower your doctor by being in a position to give an informed opinion.
0: How is that, that other scenario where it's just a paper review, no physical examination, so on and so forth? How is that, or does it even hold any water if this ever got to court? I don't see how it would, as opposed to the insurers or the insurance doctor and team who may have be been treating them for years on an ongoing basis.
1: You know, that, that that's such a good point, John, because you see this often where they would say, we've had our health partner, and if it's a psychi- psychiatric condition or psychological issue, they may have a psychiatrist review default. Mm-hmm and then give an opinion as to whether the person is disabled or not, as I said, with respect to treatment as well. But insurance companies know that if this does end up in a legal claim, that that opinion doesn't hold as much, or cannot at least hold as much weight, as a person who has had the benefit of making an assessment. Imagine the scenario where you're simply reviewing clinical records. The person says they are not feeling well, the doctor who is seeing that person in the treating capacity makes observations in the clinical chart. It starts with a capital zero, O rather, and then it details the observations like a flat affect. The person was crying. Uh, They were not focused because these are things a doctor can see when they are assessing their patients, whereas the person who is making an assessment based on a file review, literally just looking at what is reported in clinical records does not have that benefit. They're not meeting the person, they cannot make a clinical opinion based on an assessment of the person as they would have been able to do had they seen them. So yes the the, the, the position would be that those opinions do not carry as much weight, at least that's our position um, if this were to end up in a legal claim versus whether a doctor has been able to make an informed opinion. Now, there is one other thing to be said on that point. Quite often in that scenario, if it ended up in a legal claim, opposing lawyers would say, look, your doctor is being an advocate. Your doctor is just feeling sorry for you and wants to support you, even though they may feel differently. Doctors know that in a scenario where they may end up in a trial, that they have a duty in terms of the rules of court to also be objective and provide an opinion, and doctors do that. Yes, they may feel that they want to advocate for their patients, but they only do that in the case where they believe that the person cannot work. So making that argument that doctors are simply advocates and not objective, I don't think is going to go very far, whereas the argument that the doctor has been in a position where they were able to assess their patient on an ongoing basis, it's a much stronger argument and a much more valid argument, I would say.
0: All right, next one, Martin. Number three is this. Follow your treatment provider's treatment recommendations. Don't waver. Don't run off the rails in this one. Do what they tell you, right?
1: Do what they tell you. You know, insurers deny claims quite often on this basis as well. They would say, look, we've looked at the records. We don't think that you are following your doctor's advice. Um, therefore, you're not taking steps to get better. There's this legal phrase called mitigation where there's an expectation that a person who is compromised, if you want to call it that, must take reasonable steps to get better. So insurers do deny cases on a regular basis if the person is not following treatment advice. Now, of course, there may be reasons why the person is not doing that, or there may be a misinterpretation of the information that is being provided. But if your doctor is suggesting that you do take certain steps, do that, not just for your claim, obviously, because you also want to get better. It is a fact- Uh, it's a factual analysis, I suppose, if the person is not following the recommended treatment advice because it may have created significant side effects or if they had tried it and it actually worsened their condition, then there is an explanation for that. And it goes back to the previous point where if the doctor is recommending that you do something, for example, taking a specific medication and that's creating a side effect or it's worsening the condition, you report that back to the doctor so that the doctor can record that in the notes and that an alternative can be explored. And this goes also to some degree. I, I've seen cases where the business being denied because they're not participating in a rehab program or they're not seeing a kinesiologist. Everything mm-hmm. has to be looked at objectively. And when we speak about taking the treatment recommendations, your doctor would be making recommendations that are reasonable, one would expect. So as long as these recommendations are reasonable, follow them because you don't want to hand it over to the insurance company to allow them a gap to deny your claim.
0: Number four is this. If your condition is not improving, speak to your doctor whether it would be appropriate to refer you to a specialist. How about that? Why?
1: Another one. So yeah. As I was saying, earlier, as I go through these points, we can also discuss how insurance companies use these specific points to deny claims. So if I were to use this one, if your condition is not improving, speak to your doctor about referring you to a specialist. If Think about mental health disability claims. I have seen various denials over the years where the insurance company would say, we've looked at your claim, we understand that you have major depression or an anxiety disorder, or a bipolar disorder, or PTSD, you've been seen by your doctor now for a year, we see that things are not improving, why have you not been referred to a psychiatrist? Why are you not seeing a psychiatrist? We don't think it is as severe as you say it is, because if it had been as severe as you say it is, and as your doctor says it is, you should have been seen, or would have been referred at least to a psychiatrist, and then the claim gets denied. I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to weigh into that fray, but I will say this. If things are not improving, obviously seeing your doctor on a regular basis, you would be reporting that to your doctor. And the doctor may then feel that, look, I've tried whatever I can do within my realm. I'm going to refer you now to a specialist, specifically a psychiatrist. So that when the insurance company thinks about denying the claim and you haven't yet seen a psychiatrist, you could at least say, well, I've been referred to one, and again, in the, in the reality that we live in now, where people struggle to find family doctors, let alone being seen by a psychiatrist, where wait lists are very long, sometimes up to a year get in to see somebody, you would want to have your doctor refer you to someone if things are not getting better, and for the clinical records to reflect that such a referral has been made, and I'm not just speaking about Uh, psychiatric conditions. We can also speak about chronic pain disorders where I've seen denials based on, look, from the insurance company saying, we understand that you're living with chronic pain. You've tried treatment recommendations now. You've taken medications. You've done maybe some form of therapy like physiotherapy or massage therapy, Mm -hmm. but you haven't been referred to a pain clinic. Why is that? If the condition had been that bad, you should have been referred to a pain clinic. So try and be proactive in discussions with your doctor, work together with your doctor as a team to start to you know explore what other options are there if your condition isn't being properly well, it isn't um, improving. And the other point on that is, if it is not improving, and you have now been referred to a psychiatrist or a chronic pain doctor or whatever specialist is out there, that doctor. Once you have seen that doctor can also then be part of your team in supporting your claim for disability benefits so that if the insurance company at some point again as one of their in-house doctors weigh in and quite often they may use a specialist like a psychiatrist or a chronic pain doctor or an orthopedic surgeon one of those specialists weigh in then you already have a treating specialist as well whose opinion again in my opinion will outweigh the opinion of the person who has not even seen you. Psychiatrists, you know, it's a long waiting list, but once you get in to see them, then at least they'll be able to, from their specific expertise, be able to weigh in on the restrictions and the limitations, and may be able to be in a position to make some treatment recommendations with respect to medications or other treatments out there that may be of value to you in in improving your condition and of course in supporting your claim for disability benefits.
0: How strong will the insurance company sometimes be about saying, you know, you gotta go see our guys, our medical team?
1: You know, seeing their doctors, going back to the initial comment, the policy is a contract and the contract provides rights and obligations and one of the rights that an insurance company has in terms of that contract is to say to the claimant, Person making claim for benefits. look, We want to have you assessed by one of our doctors, and that does happen more often if you were to have one of your treatment people in place who is a specialist. But they would say we're going to send you to an independent medical examination, yes. where they the person doesn't necessarily work for the insurance company as an employee, but is paid by the insurance company to give an opinion. And because it is a contract, the expectation is that you, as a claimant, will go and be assessed by this person and then the insurance company very likely will rely on that opinion. Right. If that opinion is not supportive of your claim, of course, that's not the end of it. They may deny your claim, but then you come speak to us because we will deal with that issue. And gotcha. we can have your treating psychiatrist or your treating doctor review that report and give an opinion as to why that report is inaccurate or why the person wasn't in a good position to give an opinion because they didn't even do an assessment. So. The, the the short answer to that question is yes they have the right to send people to these examinations but you know that's not the that's not the end of the road if the answer is that the person is not disabled you come speak to us
0: and with that we'll get back to more in the meantime you want to reach out to Martin and his team I gave you that number now keep giving it to you one eight five five eight two one 5,900 help at disabilityrights.ca. A couple more points to go on the six things to do when making a claim for disability benefits. Important stuff, especially if you ever go down that road. So stick around for that. And we'll continue that list and get into some emails after a short break right here on the Disability Law Show. Hey, welcome back. Disability Law Show. Your, uh, your guy who you want to reach out to, your experts in this field, Martin Willems, and do so uh, courtesy Sanfiru to Mark and LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. Phone call First step, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. 821 5900 Follow up or go to an email as well, help at disabilityrights.ca. And, uh, Martin, we're going to continue here with the uh, the topic of the day. And it's the things you need to do. In fact, six things to do when making a claim for disability benefits. Down into number five we go, and that is when speaking with the insurance company, ensure that you report your functional restrictions and limitations and how these impact your activities on a daily living.
1: Okay, so what insurance companies often do, invariably on each claim, is you submit your, your application, which consists of a document that you complete, would be the claimer's questionnaire or application, mm-hmm. or the statement, then the doctor's statement, and a statement by your employer. They will review those, and then the case manager will phone you and will conduct what is called a functional telephone interview. And it may be harmless questions like, tell me about what led to your disability, what led to you ceasing work, what was happening at work, um, how do you feel these days. Let's speak about your activities of daily living. What is it that you do on a regular day? And when you respond to these questions, think about how your disability, in other words, the restrictions and limitations you have as a result of your disability impact your activities of daily living. Now, I'm using this as a general statement because quite often, for example, if you have a mental health illness, you may feel that not being at work, you may have a bit more function, but still speak about how it affects your activities of daily living. Because again, I've seen cases denied by insurance companies when the case manager conducts this functional telephone interview is very friendly to the person, who's being make, the person making the claim, and that person is giving as much information as they can speaking about how they have a family, maybe a young mother of two children. She continues to do the household chores. She does the laundry. She prepares meals. um, May have to take the children out to school. May have to take the children out to extracurricular activities. And then finds that the claim is denied because the insurance company will say, if your condition is as severe as you said, how is it that you are able to conduct all of these activities of daily living outside of work which means to us then that you should be able to work. So when these functional telephone interviews are conducted, have that in your mind. I'm not suggesting that you exaggerate your condition at all. I'm suggesting that you put into context how the restrictions and limitations affect your activities of daily living. For example, if you have chronic pain, going back to our earlier example, and you continue to do household chores, and you continue to do your laundry for example, Or prepare meals put it into context if you're chopping vegetables and you can only stand for two minutes and then you have to go sit down and rest and then come back again I've had people tell me that yes I've told the insurance company that I unpack the dishwasher but it takes me 30 minutes because I cannot bend down and if I do that my energy is done for the day and I have to go take a rest whereas if the question that was asked of you simply was tell me about whether you can do these things and you say, yes, then they will turn it on and say, well, we're going to deny your claim. Right. So put it into context. How are you able to do these things? Do you have family support? Do you have support from others in your house? Does it take you much longer? Do you suffer as a result of having done these things? Where you need to take a few days off, put it into context. So that when the insurance company does ask you these questions, that they have a clear understanding of how it affects you, not just in the workplace, but also outside of the workplace.
0: I think when a lot of people hear this conversation, or at least the points you just made, Martin, they're thinking this from a, a physical standpoint, but you know as well as anybody who's, who's had any sort of these issues, I mean, if, if it starts with some sort of mental disability for the reason you're on long-term disability, that can eventually and will uh, impair your physical capabilities as well. So it, it's it kind of boils down to the same sort of thing, but that is often a tough nut to crack with insurance companies when you're claiming, ah. I can't do these, as you said, maybe chores, maybe laundry, daily living stuff because of a mental disability which is affecting me now physically. Do you often get a lot of pushback from that?
1: We do, and uh, you know, it, it's a good point to be raised, to raise because with a mental health disability, go back to the earlier examples I was giving, uh, it would be a person doesn't really want to get out of bed. They may not want to socially interact with others. Yep. They have poor concentration, poor memory, poor focus. Uh, I've had people say to me, yes, I, I can prepare meals, but no, I've forgotten the pot on the stove because I have cognitive impairment and I've burned things or I've forgotten to turn off a tap. Yeah. Or I am able to do these things in my regular Activities of living, but my job involves working with customers. I'm a bank teller. I have to deal with customers who get irate. I have to be able to count money. I have to be able to work on a computer and enter information. I cannot make mistakes. And in my activities of daily living, I do make mistakes. I may write a note that my appointment is today when it actually was tomorrow. Mm-hmm. If I make those kinds of mistakes in my work, in my occupation, I likely will be fired. And it will cost the company thousands of dollars. So that's just one example. So it's not as easy as many times the insurance companies want to make it that if you can do these things at home, surely you can work. The key is what are the occupational duties of the person's occupation who is making the claim for disability benefits be it a you know highly cognitive demanding job or a very physical job. I've had people come to me and speak to me about I work as a forklift driver or I work as an operator of heavy machinery and I have a mental health disability claim. And I lose focus, I cannot concentrate, and I've made mistakes. And those mistakes can cost people their lives. So it is a very, very important thing to understand how the disability affects a person's functioning, not just inside the workplace but also outside the workplace. And it's not as easy to say that if you're able to cook a meal, surely you can go work as a painter.
0: We are talking these six things to do when making a claim for disability benefits down to number six, and arguably one of the most important, if not the most important, that is if your claims denied or benefits terminated, or if you have questions about what the insurer is telling you to do or requiring of you, right? Call Martin. Call a disability lawyer.
1: You know, that is a good message to get out there, because quite often there is this Power disparity, there's this David versus Goliath scenario, and people who are making disability claims, they're already vulnerable, because they've lost something that is of meaning to them, their ability to work. And with that, they've now lost their financial support that they had by their physical efforts. So now... When you're making a claim, or if you have been on claim, you're at the mercy of another entity who is making a decision as to whether you actually are able to work or not. And if the decision is that you cannot, your benefits are terminated. Now, you don't only have to live with this disability, deal with the consequences of the symptoms, the restrictions, the limitations, as well as the financial stress. So... People sometimes think that they're just going to give up or that the insurance company is right on the decision that has been made. That simply is not so. You always have an option. There are two sides to this coin, and, and that's why we are there. So if we do get involved in claims, we take over the communications with the insurance company, you don't deal with them anymore, and we fight for your benefits. And in addition, if the claim has not been denied and you simply have questions, We will review the policy with you. We can look at the medical information and we can look at the denial letter and discuss your options with you because you have options. One of them is to pursue a legal claim, but there are others as well. And you won't know unless you've reached out to us and discuss it with us because this is what we do on a regular day.
0: Let's move on to some email. After a short break, we will do that. You can send one along anytime. It might, it uh, might end up on a show in the future for sure. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Is the email address, phone number to reach out to Martin and the team: one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. And for any other questions, they can be asked online at a free and anonymous website. We call mydisabilityquestions.com. So you can use that anytime you like. We'll continue after a break. More disability law show coming up. Yeah, we're back. A few minutes to go. Disability Law Show. Martin Willems is always your guy covering the West Coast for the firm, but you can always reach out anyway. It doesn't matter. Phone number the same, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. 821 5900 The email address we always go to for the show is help at disabilityrights.ca. And I have mentioned a few times a free and anonymous website put together for you to do the same, ask questions. I uh, don't even need a name. Just go on there and ask your questions. You can search to see if it has been asked somewhat Similar question in the past, searchable database. It's a, it's a, a key component of com. So make sure you make full use of that. Want to get to uh, Sue. Sue sends an email along says, Hey, Martin, I've been unable to work uh, coming up on three years. I was denied LTD benefits in late 2020. I did three appeals and was unsuccessful. Do I still have an option to pursue a legal claim? Uh, As I am concerned, I missed the limitation period. I didn't quite understand what that limitation meant from Sue.
1: Sue, I'm so happy that you contacted us and that you asked this question because this is an important question. Mm -hmm. So, few things to be said there. The first thing is Sue has been off work now for three years. She was denied benefits in late 2020. And she did three appeals. Now she's been unsuccessful with all three of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Sue, you went down that road w- with the three appeals. I would say to anybody listening to the show, the moment that your claim is denied, contact us so we can discuss with you your options. And one of the options is to pursue a legal claim because engaging with an appeal it is you pursuing or providing further information to the same entity that denied your claim. Think about that. Now, Sue did this three times, obviously in good faith, believing that she was going to be successful with the appeal, and unfortunately she was not. And I'm taking from this the fact that she did the appeals, that she had a doctor's support and probably provided further information to the insurer, which was not accepted. Now Sue's in a position where she's thinking maybe she's exhausted the three appeals that was offered that were offered to her. And does she have another option? Insurers these days, and this goes back to 2012 in BC at least, are now required to inform insured claimants of what is called the applicable limitation period. Mm. And that applicable limitation period refers to the timeline within which you can sue an insurance company if your claim is denied. Important to understand that If you are pursuing an appeal, that does not interrupt the limitation period from running. So it carries on, even though you're engaging in this good faith process that you believe is in good faith. The other point to be made is pre-2012, the limitation period was one year. And insurance companies would have people do these appeals. And after a year has run out, if that did happen, these people were out of time to pursue a legal action. And insurers weren't required to tell people that there is a limitation period, so there is, and they are now required to advise insurers of the limitation period. So Sue, in this situation, if she had been denied in late 2020, the limitation period in BC and Alberta is two years to pursue a legal action. So I would say, do not waste any further time. Get in touch with us or you know any disability or whatever, somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, because you have only two years to pursue legal action. The more tricky question is, when did that two years start to run? Because if payments had been made, it may have been two years from the date the next payment would have become payable, or if payments had never been made, it arguably could be from the date that the claim was denied. But by all means, reach out to us because there is something hopefully that we could still do. And even in cases where the two year time mark has been missed, still reach out to us. Because they are, not in every case, but there sometimes are instances where we can still assist depending on the language of the policy, depending on the language of the denial letter, depending on the conduct of the insurance company. So all is not lost. At least have somebody who has the knowledge Mm -hmm. and the expertise and the experience in handling these cases, review your options with you and review the denial letter and the policy. Because you know what? I've had a bunch of clients reach out to me we were still able to pursue a legal claim and to create risk to the insurance company. Not in all of them, but you won't know unless you reach out to us.
0: Yeah, not necessarily a loss clause for sure. Let me get one more quick email in here, pal, before we uh, we wrap up. This one from uh, Sudhir says, I'm receiving long-term disability benefits for three years. I have uh, MS. I was uh, It was a struggle to get my benefits approved, but I was very oh. relieved when it finally happened. I have difficulty with movement and have ongoing cognitive struggles. I find that my condition is a little better in the summer months with warmer temperatures. I'm wondering about moving to a warmer climate, but I'm too scared to ask the insurance company whether I can do that as I cannot financially survive without these benefits. uh, I'm not sure how to approach the situation. What do you think, says Sudhir?
1: Thanks, Sudhir. Good question. And you know what? It seems that we have this type of question on a regular basis as well. Yeah. So going back to... There's a few points to be made. The first one is, as I've said before, the policy is a contract. And in some of these policies, there are provisions that would say that benefits would terminate if the person is out of the country for a specific period of time Mm -hmm. without the approval of the insurance company. So we would want to see what that policy says in terms of leaving the country. And another issue is If you do leave the country and the insurance company did agree to it, or if the the policy was silent on that, that issue that you can leave the country, you would still have to make sure that you are properly being treated and be able to submit such evidence to the insurance company. But it's a difficult point. It's a difficult situation to be in because you are at the mercy of the insurance company and it all goes back to the language of that policy. So maybe reach out to us, let us review the policy with you, and we can have a discussion about what options are available to you.
0: Sudhir, so thank you so very much for that, and we will leave it there as well. you want to reach out now to Martin and his team. Do not hesitate. Always invited to do so. Help at disabilityrights.ca, mydisabilityquestions.com. You can ask your questions there as well. And uh, pick up a phone and call, right, one 821 We'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show.